Fine, thank you. Fine, how are you? Yeah, come in. Thank you, thank you. Oh, nice to see you all there. Huh? Really good to see you. What's in your shed? What's in your shed? Pictures and treasures and the books that we read. What's in your shed? What's in your shed? I'd love to be in a Blondie covers band. You'd be good at it. It'd just be so much fun. I really enjoy watching you play that because <laughs> I, I adore that bass. It's beautiful, how, isn't it? Oh, yeah. How you feel about your guitars? They're so lovely to look at. Yes, yeah, and it's and a beautiful neck. This as well. It's mm. it's a lovely profile to it, and nice and smooth. Can you do? Crash Test Dummies on bass. Which one? Uh, I don't know what the name, the, the classic once there was, was this boy. I used to love that one. Got into it, an accident and couldn't go to school. Uh, let me see. When? Yeah, it's probably, yeah. Once there was this boy who got into it. I used to love them. Yeah, I used to like them a lot. They were in a kind of natural successor to Talking Heads. And in fact, their producer was Jerry Harrison on the second album from Talking Heads. So it was, it was a real family lineage thing. And she was lying in the grass. And she could hear the Sure, she is not dreaming. See the lights of the neighbor's house, and now she's starting to rise. Take a minute to concentrate, and she opens up her, opens up her eyes. The world was moving, she was trying to Touch 
she was right there with it and she was the world was moving she was floating above it and she was and she was glad about it no doubt about it isn't sure about what she's done no time to think about what to tell them no time to think about what she's done and she was <laughs> oh, that was really love good them. lovely Rod they were, they were my sixth form band talking mm. what would you call them new romantic well, well they moved about so much they, they, they were kind of new wave um, kind of post-punk because they were part of that same he uh, CBGB's club scene in New York as the New York Dolls and Television oh, and Blandy yeah. uh, but then they changed styles they went through so many styles and kind of polyrhythmic African music with Brian Eno and stuff so they were they were really varied and hard to pin down and then you know Little Creatures is quite country and the one after that is uh, True Stories is quite country as well yeah, they were great. So would that predominantly be what you had listened to in your sixth form? Yeah, until I got into Bob. I mean, the thing, everything was longer in those days, so it felt like I was into them for years, but it was probably about six or seven months I was getting all their albums and playing the bass along to them. And, and then, so yeah, it was basically from probably March to September of 87, and then as soon as I got to the sixth form college and discovered Bob, then it was a massive Bob phase, <laughs> and I was buying all his albums. And the first Bob album you bought was? I bought two. I bought um, Nashville Skyline and um, Hurricane, because I'd heard my English teacher Martin playing uh, Hurricane. Pistol shots ring out in the barroom night. Enter Patty Valentine from the upper hall. You see the bartender and pool of blood. Right out, my God, that killed them all. Here comes the story of the hurricane. The manly authorities came to blame for something that he never done. But in a prison cell, but one time he could have been the champion of the world. How do you feel when you listen to Bob? Is it, I've tried to work out in myself how I feel when I'm listening to music and Bob especially. Do you feel like you lose yourself or what do you think about? It's so weird because you know you know how it is when you're when you're 16, 17 and you're listening to music you feel the music represents the feelings that you can't express and you feel excluded and you feel the music represents you and you know it's so powerful isn't it that identification and so because I have <clears throat> with I have that with him you know he was my person at that age I mean what <laughs> what better person could you have and um, and for me that's street legal and, and that the, the kind of Bob of street legal is a different is a different person really from the one 
of the rough and rowdy ways, although there's obviously bits of him still in. So it depends which one I'm listening to, to be honest. And, um, you know... Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes I lose myself. I mean, I think there are just some things. I, I did listen to that Rough and Rowdy Ways one in the car driving down to Sussex. And it's the first time I'd listened to it for a while. And it's, it is amazing. It's nothing like anything by anybody. You know, no one else could do it. No one else could write a song like, you know, I'm like Indiana Jones and the Rolling Stones. And it would just be kind of, what is this? But because it's him, because he's culturally mythopoeic himself, him stitching together this stuff is... Um, and like that Kennedy song is like a prayer and a spell and a magic spell all to get all rolled into one. I just think it's... What's mythopoeic? Generative of myth. It's like, you know, he himself is a myth and is is capable of generating more myth. You know, uh, he's a proper living legend, isn't he? Does he tell the truth? Yeah, well, it's interesting, isn't it, that um, Larry Campbell's been giving lots of interviews about him, saying, about playing with him, and saying, you know, what you get with him is complete honesty, and sometimes that makes for a great musical performance, and sometimes it doesn't, but the person on the stage singing the songs if he's feeling pissed off that day he'll give a performance that's pissed off and if he's feeling happy he'll give a performance that's happy and he'll bring out in the, the song whatever bit is most relevant to where he is in that moment and he says that in that sense for all his masks there's no one kind of more naked on the stage and I think that's true isn't it you know it's uh, he's fully present isn't he and in that sense he's entirely true are you able to tell at a gig what mood he's in? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And what what is he like most of the time? N uh, notably, for the last twenty odd years, he's he's been much more of a consistent temperament because you know in the eighties, early nineties, he he could be much more hit and miss, and uh, often in a bad mood and. Hammersmith 93 it, it was almost a kind of destructive attitude um, Is that Hammersmith 1993? Yes Hammersmith yeah. Apollo? Yeah or Odeon as it would always be to me but yeah And did yeah. you did you enjoy that gig as much as the ones where he's more happy? No I mean there were some powerful things in it but it wasn't it wasn't as the the best one for me was Hammersmith 1990. Those were just amazing, and I kind of wish he hadn't come back for five years after that, and kept himself a kind of rarer, a rarer act, a rarer performer. But he kept coming back. He came back in '91, and it was he was kind of obviously drunk most of the nights, and then '93 it was these really long drawn out versions. It was the real start of all that noodling guitar, and. Um, but then 95, he was brilliant. He was doing the handheld mic and taking such care over the lyrics. And, um, yeah, it was just completely present in a whole different way. And really since then, you know, 97 onwards... Oh, well, that's... Although I did stop going for a while, that awful up-singing period, you know, where it would just be... Um, how many rounds? 
handsome man walked out before you call him a man. How many seeds must have wiped up sand before she sleeps in the sand? How many times? It would all be just on the uh, fly. Just a... It's so odd, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And yet now it's clear it was a deliberate way of singing because obviously then he did all those Sinatra albums where he's singing smoothly and sweetly and he's using that voice on the Rough and Rowdy Ways album. So I don't know, you know, maybe there were a few years where he had a, a throat condition and he had to sing like... But it, it looks like it was bizarrely a conscious choice. You know. God knows who. What's going on? In... That's incredible. Yeah. That's why he's never paid. Yeah. Rog, I'm so thrilled that you're back again. <laughs> and this time, I'm actually in the shed. Incredible, and the sound in here is great, and you can still hear the birds singing outside which okay. the recording will probably pick up and we started off this season together doing Bob Dylan's Empire Burlesque that's right yeah and we're on episode nine or ten maybe if I count the trailer wow. as one of them of this season and the timing's perfect because I didn't want to push but I knew I wanted to be with you again I knew I wanted to do this is this the season cliffhanger this is it this yeah. is, I've bookended it with, <laughs> with you Rog and this is going to be the best episode the stakes are high the stakes are high I've done my preparation I always feel like this before a performance that I wonder if it can live up to my expectations or to some yes. of the other episodes and then I think to myself I, I don't think I can do that again I don't think I can for example, when I paint a picture and I'm pointing over at oh, wow. Alfred E. Newman I painted. Brilliant. And I look at this Fantastic. and I think, I'm not sure if I can actually get all my paints out and do this again. I'm worried. That's but you know great. what? Every time I get going, it, it, it happens and we get there. And you told me that you would like to do a mixtape idea yeah can you can you explain a little bit more about your yeah choice? i thought a mixtape idea would um might go well with the theme and that maybe various listeners will have done have, have experienced the kind of mix mixtape experience although i suppose this isn't officially a kind of mixtape because the one i'm reminiscing about today the object i brought the imaginary object because it's long since destroyed alas was the first cd 90 tape i had in my first mono tape cassette recorder which I was given in Christmas um, 1980 and then I set about recording on the the Thursday editions of Top of the Pops in those first weeks of 1981 different songs and on that that tape so it was a kind of mixtape but it was it was compiled by choosing the tracks I liked as they came up on Top of the Pops and so I was kind of in the hands of what was being broadcast rather than entirely curating it, as they would now say. So what came up on that was Kim Wilde's Kids in America, oh, oh, Ultravox's Vienna, uh, the the Queen Flash soundtrack, um, a little bit of um, Rapture by Blondie and Hazel O'Connor's Will You, 
and and there were also other bizarre things on it that Bugsy Malone was shown that Christmas um, of 1980 going into 81 and I had a couple of the Bugsy Malone songs we could have been anything that we wanted to be that that one was on there and a couple of others and so it was this bizarre compilation of bits and bobs and it of course had little snatches of Peter Powell or whoever was introducing the song saying here's a new starter at number six it's Kim Wilde and Kids in America so I what I remember vividly is not just the tracks but those little bit of lead-in or the announcer voices or the continuity and so it, it's an unusual mixtape listeners but the idea is we can maybe all reminisce a bit about mixtapes those of us who were there in that analog age and mixtapes were from the 80s i think the birth of the mixtape came around then and it's when you could record things from the radio perhaps yes if it's like that or straight from the teddy if that was on yeah that's right and you could put it onto a tape or a CD and now digitally I guess you can probably do that but that's what we're doing right now by rec- we're doing this digitally yeah we? yeah but the mixtape was a lovely little keepsake for me especially when you've heard songs on the radio and you managed to catch them at the right time yes get exactly on that tape and then you your tape's not complete yet so you wait around and you think okay i'm going to listen to the uk top 40 on the radio now yes and i know that track that i want is coming up in the top 10 and you hit play at the right time but i always found that the dj would come in near the end yes and, and spoil and, it and i thought they <laughs> had to do that because otherwise yes they're properly pirating stuff and there's no they kind of record a little so it's yeah that's true that's true so yeah i mean i think what is really enticing for me is the thought of you know it was all so mono you know the, the tape recorder was mono you used to have to press play and record together um to get it to um to record didn't even have a counter on it this tape recorder so i used to have to peer in the glass window to see uh, how far through the tape i was and judge how near the end and then i'm, I'm recording it off the old wooden cased TV downstairs with a mono speaker and I got it on this little chair that I'd outgrown it was kind of a, a Christmas present a few years before that a small chair and desk that went together but I remember this collapsible chair was quite handy to put by the TV and I'd have my mono tape recorder and I'd tape these these tracks on a Thursday evening on top of the pops and it, everything was so you know you have to catch it when it's on there's none of that sense of you can download it, you can look it up, you can watch it on catch up. It's the one and only transmission point. And the idea of this this small little tape could capture it. There was something quite magical about that, which is yeah, powerful to look back on, I think. And did you write in the blank liner the track names inside your tape? Yes, I think I probably did. Um it it was it was quite bitty that that one and it ended up you know, it probably was a general title rather than kind of listing all of them. But yeah, you do wonder what happened to them. I recorded a lot of television programs. We didn't have a, a, a video recorder until about 85. And so I used to record the audio tracks of TV shows that I would miss. I would get my parents or family to record things. So Sapphire and Steel, the sci-fi TV show in the early 80s, um, it used to be on a Monday night, and that would when I used, used to get packed off to Cub Scouts to try and make me more manly, and um, so I would miss this sci-fi show, and uh, 
come back and just listen to the audio track, which was often great because, you know, that you'd hear this incidental music and these dramatic stingers on the soundtrack. You could tell something dramatic was happening, but you didn't know what. So you imagine it. It was kind of more vivid as a result, really, for not seeing it. And for that reason, actually, I have lots of phrases that are ingrained in my head and sometimes they pop into my mind and they're from that that same kind of era of 1981 recording things off the tv and playing them back so often that they the phrases have gone into my head so you would record the sound coming out of the tv in mono yes onto yeah. a tape yeah which was also in mono and you know again i wish they'd survive because then they'd have little things in the background like you might hear my dog shuffling past you know the family dog of 40 years ago or you might just hear a car go past in the street they're time capsules in their own way aren't they these these tapes i got a tape of my first uh, university band rehearsing in raymond hall in broccoli at goldsmiths college and it's it's ropey old recording musically but just to hear the chatter and people talking about their exams and um, <laughs> hear people coming and going in the hall's residence and stuff it, it's amazing time capsule to think it's just compressed on this this little tape that's been tucked away in the loft for years. My experience of making mixtapes was on my brother's double tape deck. Right, yes. We could either record from the radio, which would happen a lot. We we got the UK Top 40 every Sunday. Mm-hmm. It was every Sunday morning. It finished at about 2 o'clock. It, it took most of the, yes. uh, the morning, or the whole morning, in fact, because they'd have the news and then adverts and all stuff in between, and then they'd come back and they'd be on the Top 20. You got halfway through. Yeah. And my brother and I would record stuff off there, the amazing thing about this double tape deck player was that it had high speed dubbing. So you oh, could yes, record, I remember that. You could record from one tape yes. to a blank tape. So you'd buy REM automatic for the people, for example, stick that in and you make your friend a copy. Mm. But if you don't have much time, you press a little red button for high speed dubbing. Yes, I do remember that feature. The quality was never quite as good. It's better to be patient and. Yes, it, yeah, I think that's right. Quality. Yes. But we'd make them for car journeys. And I remember in my matric holiday, which was my final year in high school in South Africa, mm-hmm. we, would, we went on a matric holiday, and I think it was a tradition. Everyone used to do it. I think these days the kids go to an organised event mm-hmm. instead of getting together with a group of, say, five mates two cars or go on the train or the bus and you meet down at the coast somewhere you stay in someone's house or you manage to rent a place or whatever the case may be Mm -hmm. and on the journey down we would listen to mixed tapes right and my car only had a tape deck and at the time we actually had cds as well so we would have a combination of using the sony discman with a lead attached to a tape yes that's and that right tape you could slot into the i know that stereo. that seemed like magic as well didn't it that that kind of uh device i remember those it's incredible it would transfer the the, the music from the cd onto yes. a tape and it would run in your car yes 
and then the tape remains blank. Yes, I know. Because once you've done it, you, you can keep it, doesn't record no, it. No, no. And we would do that. The, the Sony Walkman would be on the floor in the passenger, or whoever yes. was next to me would, I'd be driving. Yeah. My VW Beetle 1500, 1969 model, which uh-huh. I was absolutely in love with. It was a pearl white color. And it had this incredible Pearl Jam sticker in the back window, and each letter of the word Pearl Jam was separate. So when you transferred it onto the window and pulled the backing off, it would leave each letter like floating on its own. Right, wow. And we went down to a place called Ramsgate. Mm-hmm. That's the south coast yeah. of Natal. You've got the Indian Ocean, and you go for Durban, and then you hit Scott, Amanzimtoti, Scottborough, and you keep going south. And I think Ramsgate is down there. These are all names that match British seaside resorts yes. because of colonialism. Right. It kept quite a few of the names. And it was just such a magical journey, listening to Soundgarden Super Unknown <laughs> from CD onto cassette. These yes. were the whole, the whole grunge thing. It, it, it was wonderful. I had a mixtape with Crash Test Dummies on. Oh, okay. And we had all these singing yes. in the car on top of our voices. Yeah. Is that the right saying? The top of. Yeah, yeah. indeed. Uh, it, it was just such a beautiful time to be playing around with music and being able to create a playlist. Yes. As such. Listen to a full album, then listen to stuff you've created, and it yeah. was great fun. I'm looking at your, that's a Sony behind you, that's got a tape deck in that, hasn't it? Or is it just a CD? It has a tape deck. I'll, yeah. I'll go over and get it. This isn't one from when I was younger. This is actually one that I bought perhaps 10, 15 years ago. It was difficult to get hold of because tapes are obsolete. Mm. And why would you need a tape deck? But luckily the Sony one has that. And yes. it's got the CD at yeah. the top. I've got a blank tape, and I was going to try experiment with it. I'll hand it over to you so you can see oh, what it looks like. Beautiful, yeah. It's sealed in the tight cellophane, or what is it like a tight plastic wrap? Yes, yeah. It's a Philips ninety-minute cassette. You've got forty-five minutes on each side, and I always remember that there was a little bit longer on each side. They give you a leeway, and. I bought that today, actually, that blank tape, because I was I wanted to experiment. I wanted to see if I could tape from a CD, and we we could try that later. Yes. When when we finished recording or whenever, but I'd like to try that. But the reason I had to go rush and get it today was because I thought I had three cassette tapes, and I'm holding them up now so Roger can see them. And I remembered them, I remembered where they were, and I came into the shed yesterday. I thought, I'll check them out, just make sure it's all set up. Hmm. And I opened them up. They also came in this tight plastic. You have to kind of pick at the sides and get it open. And I opened one of them. It's the same, roughly the same size as a music cassette tape, but it seems a little bit more chunky. And look at that, Rog, it's a video. Yeah, yeah. It looks That's like right. a tiny Very VHS similar. cassette. Yeah. It's a BASF HG90 high grade. And I think what 
made me suspicious was when I read this cover here and it says fantastic colors I thought well that's interesting yeah. <laughs> how's that going to happen that's with sound synesthesia of a new degree yeah. and then I thought oh no I better go into town and see if I can pick up a blank cassette tape yeah there's some um some musicians like to re record on digital using pro tools and all of the the kind of modern gizmos but then once they've got their tracks they like to record it onto tape and then bounce it back onto digital um, for the final mastering and um, when i first became aware of that process I, I didn't entirely see the point but i i now really understand why there's a kind of warmth and kind of something organic about tape that you can really hear so there's there's one recording that i played on where the that was done with the drum track the drum track was put onto tape and then added back and just the drum track alongside everything else had a quality that is quite hard to explain but it, it was fuller and warmer and richer and deeper and um yeah i, I think there is something about it um, a friend of mine in brighton is making a film at the moment and he's he's doing it on super 8 film which is the medium he used as as a kid he won a film young filmmaker of the year competition and he, he had loads of super 8 films in his loft which he's now kind of digitized but he decided he's, he's got a film project on at the moment he decided he'll film it on super 8 and he's been showing me putting bits of it on youtube and and he says for him that kind of film sacralizes the things it's capturing because it's got the those kind of grainy parts in it and these little flickers and and it, it's just saturated in a different way and I, I know what his means it, it's kind of capturing it in a deeper and more truthful way than um than digital seems to and I, I think that's true you. for audio right, yeah I hear you. like I'm fully into so I'm now thinking we should do this podcast this particular edition should be on tape and then we then we bounce it across onto... <laughs> we try to do that we'll experiment there you go <laughs> thank <Roger>. you <laughs> Rog, can you tell me a bit more about each of these individual songs that that you've brought in? And I'm looking down at the singles. So I'm trying to think of the order that they were on there. I think probably... Um, so you, it's probably even possible to track down which editions of Top of the Pops this was I was taping. And I'm a bit fascinated with that. There's... Um, um, for train spotters like me, there's something called BBC Genome where you can look up particular, well, it's a whole archive of when things were transmitted on the BBC. So if you put into BBC Genome Kim Wilde 1981, it'll bring up the performances of Top of the Pops of which she appeared and things like that. So it's definitely in early January and of 1981. And Kids in America was probably one of the first things on that, that tape. The other thing on there, if we come back to Kim in a moment, was uh, Ultravox Vienna. And what's interesting here is the way um, the music, it, it captures other things I was thinking about at the time. So I was obsessed with the Titanic at that time, which you know hadn't been discovered at that point. So it was still this, this amazing shipwreck from history that had disappeared. As far as we knew, you'd never see it again. When you imagine the shipwreck, you imagined it, you know, 
very differently from how it has turned out to be. And uh, I had read the book and for my birthday, early in January, had seen the film of Raise the Titanic. And there's this brilliant sequence where the, you know, the ship is raised and there's foam kind of coming out of it and it's, it's lifting out of the water. And there's a brilliant soundtrack. It's making all of these kind of groaning noises of the steel kind of settling and the water kind of pouring out of it. And on uh, Vienna, uh, let me just see. This means nothing to me. This means nothing to me. There are these sounds on the soundtrack um, where it's going do 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 It's this low kind of tom tom that's been distorted, and that was making me remember these kind of groaning noise noises of the Titanic oh, coming out of the water. And the, yeah, and so I always saw uh, when I heard that song this kind of montage from Raise the Titanic, and again I remember seeing that film and turning to the friend next to me. Um, oh, it's the, it's the raising sequence coming up. And I remember saying, turning to him and saying, oh, we're only going to see this once. And again, it was that sense of it was unique. You know, I didn't know it would be on TV five years later and I'd be able one day to buy a VHS and now I can look on YouTube and I can see the original, I can see digital remasters and I can see home amateurs kind of recreating it. I mean, it's just amazing if you'd told that kid then that you won't only be seeing it once, it'll be on demand in the future. You know, you'd have been flabbergasted. But in a way, that was exciting. So to only think you're only going to see it once, you store it away. And then, as I say, hearing that kind of sound effect on the bottom, it, it was, I was seeing the kind of hull of the ship coming out of the water to those noises in Vienna. So yeah, that, that was the impact of the, the Ultravox song. And interestingly, I didn't actually get into any of these bands with the exception of Blondie. It's not like I then bought a Ultravox album or sought out their other songs. And Kim Wilde, I mean, as it turned out, there is a bit of a motif in my musical taste for blonde chanteurses with attitude. Kim Wilde, Hazel O'Connor and the amazing Debbie. But... Um, it was many years before I got more of her material. So these songs were very kind of isolated. You know, it was the idea of, I was liking it as a song rather than, you know, I was identifying with the band or, or which is maybe some a function of age. Maybe it's not until teenage that you kind of adopt a, a whole band or a particular artist as your, your signature. But that Ultravox song is, very anthemic it's very yes, yeah it's bold it's big it's experimental and apparently it was performed at the 1985 live aid concert at wembley oh okay and is that the one where freddie mercury did that incredible performance yes yeah i think it was and that line it means nothing to me apparently yes the lead singer what's his name midge yeah okay. apparently he had written it but there was a lot of romanticizing of a love affair in Vienna. Yes. And then he turned around and said, it means nothing to me. Yes. That whole, how it had grown into this big something else. Yes. And the producer said, let's keep that line. 
and it, for me, that's the the best line of the whole song. It right. means nothing yeah, to me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because it sounds a bit like denial as well, isn't it? Trying to persuade himself. But yeah, it's a lovely piece, and it's got those kind of it's got strings on it, hasn't it? It's got that operatic feel to it. And I remember the video. I mean, the video was just right because it was January '81. I mean, it was bleak times, and it was a dark winter. And the video is all kind of smoke and fog and it's in black and white and um, it was very atmospheric for the time. I think all of these were really. And it was kept off number one by John Lennon's women. Yes, I was really interested. I looked at the charts and there was so much Lennon in there. And that's, that's really interesting as well, you know, looking back and seeing these people whose importance you didn't fully appreciate at the time. and. So I remember seeing Imagine and Woman and Starting Over and all the videos of those and being a bit curious about him. But I hadn't, you know, as someone who then became a, a huge Beatles fan in later life, you know, it's, to consider I lived through his assassination and remember it, it its cultural significance was, was not fully present to me at the time. Yeah. Kim Wilde, Kids in America, again another British band, which I found a surprise. I, I knew Kim Wilde was British, but when I hear this song, Kids in America, perhaps because it's about America, yes. I think yeah. it's got to be American. So another British band from the 80s, Ultravox Vienna came out in 1981, and Kim Wilde's Kids in America also came out in 1981. Yes. And she was inspired by OMD and Gary Newman. Right, yeah, that all makes sense. All that electronic 80s feel. And when you arrived this evening, we were talking about how 80s music makes me feel, or you feel, us feel. Yeah. In that it properly transports me back to when I was 11 or 12 in 1988, 1989. And I, I can listen and I feel it. It's a way... It's like looking at a photograph of us when we were kids. The music mm. does the same thing to me. I get tingles. I'm getting tingles now <laughs> in, in the back of my skull. But I get such tingles when when you play the song. It is just incredible. And I know it's been covered by many people. Has it? Yeah, oh, that's yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And apparently her father and brother wrote the songs. Yes, well, that's one of the other things I remember vividly. I remember my mother. My mother often would kind of hover at the edge of the room there was this little kind of archway into the lounge and she'd kind of be half watching and sometimes kind of half disapproving of modern music but when when she saw Kim Wilde she said oh I wonder if that's Marty Wilde's daughter and she had liked Marty Wilde who'd been a like late 50s rocker hadn't he in the Tommy Steele mold so so again I can remember kind of comments and it, it's all kind of tapestry of not just the music but things people said and things around it and I remember the set and what she was wearing it was it was a good kind of feisty surly performance she'd found a good persona right from the the start I think do we want yeah, to yeah, um I'd love to do we want to relive that. a bit of <laughs> I would love to let's see if we can relive a bit of <laughs> I just need to clear my throat. I'll get a quick drink. I probably need my lyrics as well. 
looking out a dirty old window. Yeah. You can bring the lyrics up, but you can't necessarily read them. <laughs> Looking out a dirty old window Down below the cars in the city go rushing by I sit here alone and I wonder why Bright lights everyone's moving I can feel the heat and it's soothing heading down I search for the beat in this dirty Downtown the young ones are going Downtown I'm down, I'm down, down, down With the kids in America With the kids in America Everybody listen to the music Look, boy, don't check on your watch, not another glance. I'm not leaving, and not a chance. <laughs> I shot, give me no problems. Much later, baby, you'll be saying, never mind. You know, life is cruel, life is never good. <laughs> We're the kids in America. Whoa! We're the kids in America. Whoa! Everybody listen to music around. Thank you, Kim. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Kim and Rod. And that synthesizer keyboard thing you've got. No, that was really um, high impact, and um, that that whole she had the whole look. You know, it all came together. And it's nice. Those top of the pops moments were always really powerful when you could see it was early in someone's career, and, and it was all coming together. You mentioned the stars align earlier. You know, similar Boy George Culture Club on top of the pops the following year. Do you really want to hurt me? It was they. It was clearly his moment. It was clearly, this is you know a moment of arrival, and she she had that sense as well. Kim Wilde with that song. Hot shot, Beautiful song. It got number one for two weeks in South Africa and Finland. Oh, okay. And it was number two in the UK charts. But when I read that it got number one in South Africa, I thought, mm. that makes sense because I distinctly remember this song and I know people in South Africa that are listening will also hopefully relate and go, yeah, that song was always on. We heard it plenty because if it reached number one in the charts, you, it, you would be aware of it.
the next song, Rog, is, I don't know which one you want to talk about. Would it be Queen Flag? Yeah, and so here I really remember... I mean, isn't it interesting, this business about... I remember the... I remember bits of speech as well as the music. Well, this song is really interesting for that because it's a soundtrack with quotes from the film in it, isn't it? So, dispatch Rocket Ajax to bring back his body. And then, um, Flash, Flash, I love you, but we only have 48 hours to save the Earth. So again, all of the, what do you mean, Flash Gordon approaching? <laughs> Open fire! <laughs> all the weapons! <laughs> and so all of, you know, that, that record is soundtrack and and voice music and voice all together the most famous which of which is of course gordon's alive <laughs> <laughs> now that's a great film flash gordon oh, and i watch it with my dad quite a few times courage. you know this um freddie and brian may duet Yes. And Roger Taylor does the high harmonies. Oh, okay. That makes sense. And John Deacon bass. Yes. But apparently Brian May plays all the instruments except for the rhythm section. But what does that mean, except for the rhythm section? Bass and drums, yeah. Oh, bass and drums is rhythm. Oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah, I yeah. play bass and I Yeah, yeah, you're know. part of the rhythm section, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And apparently there was a grand piano with 97 keys instead of 88. <laughs> oh, wow. And... Brian May's homemade red special electric guitar. Oh. Apparently it did something to the octaves or the sounds. I don't really know the technical details, but to have 97 keys, obviously you're able to make more sounds, aren't mm. you, if you've got that many. Yeah. You've got number one in Austria. Oh, okay. It makes me want to see that film again because I, I don't think I can have watched it from start to finish since I saw it originally. But um, yeah, so I, I remember that vividly. And I, again, I, I can remember the, the announcer or the Top of the Pops presenter coming in over the end of it. And I can't remember exactly what they said, but um, you know, they kind of cut it short. And so that was part of this tape. So th this tape had captured all sorts of bits and bobs other than the, the songs themselves. And of course it was my first one, so I can remember listening to it kind of over and over. I probably only had one tape with it. Well, I had two tapes. I had that blank tape and I had Hazel O'Connor's Breaking Glass, which I still have. Thank God I've still got that um, as my first ever tape, <laughs> which has the song on it, um, Big Brother, um, which goes, Our big brother's got no heart. When I get my chance, I'm going to kick him up. The, ah, 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 our big brother's got no heart. <laughs> When I get my chance, I'm going to kick him up the ass, ass, <laughs> I remember playing it. And my sister goes to my mum and saying, that tape you bought, Rogers, says, it says the word ass on it. And he said, no, no. And me kind of bluffing and pretending it said something else in case they confiscated it. <laughs> I think in that era, you probably could have had a tape with worse language on it. But um, there you go. I was listening to a CD in the car what was it now? Live, the band called Live, which is always very difficult to look up because you type in live. Yes. And then you get all sorts of Wikipedia stuff about live. Right. And then live, live gigs, live acts. The band's yeah. called Live. And the album I was listening to was 
Secret Samadhi. I think that's the correct way to pronounce it. I've actually got a live stick on my acoustic guitar. Oh, wow. From back in the yes. day when I listened to them more. And there's a song in there where they say fuckers. <laughs> and Ralph is in the car and he's heard it a number of times. And I keep really quiet. I'm, I'm not sure if I should skip it or try and or catch co- it. Cough before. at that moment. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, but, but it's okay. I think, you know, if it's if it's done yeah, nicely it's... and artistically, uh, people may argue that you can't do that. You know, swearing is vulgar and horrible, but sometimes it works. Yes, yeah. I just love also the inconsistencies of, of um, policing language in, in parenting. I mean, it's so hard to do, I'm sure, but I can remember, you know, we weren't allowed to watch certain programmes because they were perceived to, you know, they might have juicy words in them but it was fine for us to watch carry on films which are full of the most appalling innuendos and stereotypes and anything you know it's hard to have a consistent policy on um, what you screen if you're going to screen things maybe it was even harder then I don't know and who decides yeah that gets very political doesn't it when well, is a status quo and what's acceptable. It was quite a firm, a firm line about whether you could have the t- TV on in my house. <laughs> <laughs> the parental finger would sometimes just turn it off if, if it was supposed to be something unsuitable. I don't want to be the parental finger turning <laughs> yeah. off live when it's a great tune and it sounds awesome. Yeah. Should we talk about Blondie? Yes. Or would you like to do the other one? Yeah, no, let's... Um, well, I could say a little bit about Hazel. I, don't, yeah. I know you don't know Hazel, but this is... This record, listeners, <clears throat> I think is probably one of my first records. It's either this or OMD's Made of New Orleans, and I think it's probably this, which was bought in Horsham Market for 85p. And that's the copy you're holding right there, the one you have. Yes, yeah. And it had come from the Mile End Road, so somebody in, in my hometown must have got it from there. And it's, yeah, it's a Hazel O'Connor song, which you would you would know. Um, you drink your coffee And I sip my tea And we're sitting here Playing so cool, thinking what will be, will be. It's getting kind of late now. I wonder if you'll stay now, stay now, stay now, stay now. Or will you just politely say goodnight? Oh, right. It's a, it's a beautiful <laughs> song. And, um, stay now, stay now. <laughs> yeah. I think that song was probably why my parents let bought the album for me, because then it, that's a beautiful kind of love ballad. And there's a sax solo on it, and my dad liked that. And, of course, the other song was Eighth Day. He said, behold, what I have done, I've made a better world for everyone. And that was a much more punky song, and, and they wouldn't have liked that one. But I think because it was an unusually kind of diverse album and it had this ballad on it that was much more um, to their taste, that that's why they got me it, which was which was great because you know that 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 um, tape I played endlessly. So yeah, she was on top of the pop singing this, and Breaking Glass was again this kind of mythical film. My my older cousin had been to see it. I remember asking her what happened in it. And it was probably an ex, you know, and I I was 10, so there's no way I was going to get to see it. 
and I didn't see it I think till I was 15 or so and again so I'd listened to all these songs and I knew it was a film and I'd imagined what the film was about through the lens of the songs and I remember asking my cousin what happens and it was a, a very different kind of story but so yeah ha Hazel is is another of these um well she was then blonde she's she's often not been blonde but these kind of feisty blonde chanteuses with plenty of attitude and um yeah, I totally powerful get that. diva quality. Yeah, I love Kim Gordon from the Pixies. Right, she's not even the lead. I think, no, no, Kim Deal from the Pixies. I love her as well, but she's not, as you would describe, the blonde chanteur. Yeah, but uh, so Kim Gordon from Sonic Youth, bass player, she has that feel. Courtney Love from the yes. I know she was far more reckless, but I, I love that. Uh, Dolly Parton, of course. And I've got a little uh, secret or someone that I really love that I think fits in with this. Right. And it is Miley Cyrus. Oh, okay. Yeah. She's got, I think her godmother is uh, I, I Dolly? Say, Dolly Parton. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. You picked up the bass guitar. What are we going to... Well, gonna so... This this one, I think, if this one is was on the tape, I think it was only a, a clip of it. You know, when they would show the the top twenty or something, they'd show little snippets of them while they're talking over the top. And rising three places to number seventeen is Blondie and Rapture. So the whole song wasn't on there, and um, and it was actually quite a while before I I started getting Blondie recordings, but. Um, the album this is linked to uh we knew, we loved all the singles from it and, and in fact my sister and i and our friend around the corner we were going to have a show called carry on girls and i was happy with it it was going to be called carry on girls but they decided it would then be carry on girls and boy <laughs> so again that shows that we were watching carry on films but it wasn't supposed to be a kind of um bawdy farce it was supposed to be us standing on the back of a, a kind of lorry float we were going to hire a a lorry a trailer I don't know how we were going to get it into somebody's garden it was going to go in my friend's garden and we were going to do a concert on the end of this <laughs> this lorry and we want the one we particularly wanted to sing was the tide is high because we love that one every, um, every girl wants you to be a man but I wait my lead is my I'm not the kind of girl who gives up just like that. Oh no, the tide is high and I'm moving on. I wanna be your number one, number one, number one. But. Uh, the one that was on this tape was actually Rapture. Rapture is from the album called Auto American in yeah. 1980, and the single was released in 1981. The first number one US single to feature rap vocals, isn't that amazing? And on top of that, it was the first rap video ever broadcast on MTV. That's right. By Blondie. And only two nights ago she was in Hyde Park uh, 
performing it and still doing that rap at 74 so what two nights ago yeah 75 actually was there a concert in Hyde Park or was it some kind of Covid oh did I say Hyde thing? Park sorry Central Park Central, Central Park. Park yeah yeah Central Park um, they made a film in Cuba in 2019 and and um, it's now been released and, and they were doing a little launch gig for it and uh, there she was and she performed this song yeah complete with the rap now I think listeners we have our own version of the rap to offer you this this evening we'll try we haven't rehearsed it I was saying I sang this at the end of the Cinema Under the Stairs episode so it's in there somewhere you've got to feel it I will I will that's exactly it that's exactly it Doesn't it start sad, sad Sam? Oh, Fab Five Freddy told me. Oh, okay. Here we go. So maybe if we go in together. Okay. Fab Five Freddy told me everybody's flying. So that one, two, three, four. Fab Five Freddy told me everybody's flying. DJ spinning. I said my mind flashes fast. Flashes cool. Francois said five flash ain't no dude. You don't stop. Joshua. Go out to the parking lot and get in your car and drive real far and you drive all night and then you see a light and out comes right down and it lands on the ground and out comes a man from Mars and you try to run but he's got a gun and he shoots you dead and he's eat your hand and then you're in the man from Mars you go out at night eating cars you Cadillacs Lincolns too Mercury's and Subaru and you don't stop you keep on eating cars and Mercury's and Subaru's. I got a that Subaru. Was good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I hope so. And you're really good at picking up where I am with singing, and then you put in the the, the right notes at the right time. Because I think I'm probably all over the place and erratic. Oh, what a what a oh, privilege! It's what so powerful, though. But um, a bit of a deviation, but um, it's really interesting, uh, um, Debbie's current vocal performances. So if she's now, back, back in those days, if she was singing um, Atomic, she'd go, oh, make me tonight, tonight, make it. Sorry, lost the chord. Make me tonight, tonight, make And um, you know that's holding the note for the entirety of the phrase. Beautiful. That's so good. (laughs) It's such a beautiful song. It's the power of the song. Now, I mean, you know, she's seventy-five, and if I can be anything. Like as energetic oh, when when I'm that age, 
but she doesn't hold the note for that length of time but actually she brings a poignancy to it so the make me tonight tonight make it right oh, sorry the <laughs> make me tonight 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 so i mean it, you know it's not the same belting it out but she finds a way to sing it in the same key and still, um, you know, let, let, kind of acknowledge that the years have passed and not try and sing it exactly the same way, but capture the spirit of it. Because your instrument changes. Yes, yeah. But she does, she, she has preserved her voice really, really well, I think. Have you got your Blondie T-shirt on today, right? Yeah, which is, is now... Um, I All I can see is the... That's right. Beautiful yeah. green on the collar. Yeah, it's strangely yellow. luminescent. This one isn't and it? And I even buttoned yeah. the shirt. And oh, <laughs> yeah. that is my favourite one. Oh, look at her face. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> we'll have to put it on the. Uh... Do you think we can put a picture? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. That'd be good. Uh -huh, I need so, to get one of those t-shirts, Rod. You're gonna have to send me the link to. Yeah, I'll try and track from. you one down. Good. Yeah. Because I like the bright vibrancy of it and of course it's blondie yes yeah no it's, it's great it's a cool t-shirt so yeah that little collection of of stuff and then that went on through 1981 and um you know as i say there were television programs recorded there were little bits of films and just all in that context of it was all precious that you know the tape was a way of capturing it and um and always on the expectation that you wouldn't necessarily hear it again, you know, or, or be able to afford the record or, you know, or that you'd be sitting in a shed 40 years later with vinyl versions of it and YouTube versions at your fingertips if you want them, you know. So you had someone to share that joy with and to yes. bounce ideas off. I yes. think that's such a lovely thing and this is why I'm enjoying this season so much because we get to talk about music and how we interpret it and what we see and how it makes us feel. Mm. I listen to music on my own but I, I definitely love sharing it and even if no one comments, I know it's going in I, whenever I can, I put a record on inside the house and I'll be cooking or something and the record will be on. Today I put Fine Young Cannibals on the Raw and the Cooked. I've actually got it here so we can listen to it a little bit later. Ah, oh, great. Oh, and yes. I was so happy to hear I'm not the man I used to be and she drives me crazy. There you go. Drives <laughs> me crazy. He's got such a distinctive vocal style, hasn't he? I think that's, that's oh. great. Um, they, they've got a version of Suspicious Minds, and they're caught in a trap and walk out <sighs> because I love yeah. you too. It's <laughs> I don't. I know we're going to carry on this evening and talk music because it's just my my favourite thing. I feel so 
privilege to be here with you tonight when you can share yeah, likewise, man. your your musical genius Roger I think you're great and you, you'd play it down obviously but for me I, I see a great performer you you've got such a clear understanding of music and lyrics and sound oh, and tonight only one ear so if i've got a musical ear it's only one because <laughs> one of them is blocked <laughs> before we go rog can you tell me do you remember a point in your life when you realized you could do music you understood it you could pick things up you could play you could sing or did it um, organically evolve that's interesting there was a piano in my house and um it had come from my grandmother's house and I remember it arriving and I remember these these two guys coming in with it manoeuvring it through my mum asking if she could help and, and the guy saying slightly abruptly but then then kind of modifying it and saying no thank you ma'am <laughs> <laughs> as they shuffled it through and then it was in in this kind of inner room for a long time and I used to sit and I worked out block chords and I used to play along to the to the top 40 actually and I remember having piano lessons and I was supposed to be reading music and I increasingly started kind of vamping and going off piste because I could do it by ear and that, that piano teacher got a bit frustrated with me because <laughs> because I would vamp so I think it was then and I think also um, I just realised I could work out of most songs I mean you know not kind of really kind of complex um classical composition or so on but in the popular song tradition I could work out the chord structures just by hearing them you can hear the intervals you can and mo most of them do operate to a kind of template kind of pattern so and then the other thing is singing in harmony I could I just um, found I could find where the uh, kind of harmony part was in a vocal line I mean that fascinates me harmony if you think of Simon and Garfunkel Hello darkness my old friend I've come to talk with you again That's the Art Garfunkel line And then Paul Simon underneath it goes Hello darkness my old friend I've come to talk with you again Why does the ear know that the melody is the higher bit? Because if you ask somebody to sing that song that's the bit they'd sing they wouldn't go da 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 But there's no reason on paper why our ear knows that the higher one it's not necessarily always the higher part that's the melody so there's something quite fascinating about harmony cause a vision softly creeping you see what I'm sleeping so one of my happy memories is there was a busker well yeah sorry long story but I used to on my Walkman that I think I had a channel adjusting left channel right channel switch and when I discovered Simon and Garfunkel when I was like 15 and 16, which is my precursor to Dylan actually, I got into them first, I used to turn off the uh, this art art side and sing Paul, uh, his side in harmony with Paul and then I would turn off Paul's side and do the other thing. And so I learned a lot from singing with them and um, and would kind of learn the parts. And so I knew all of the kind of harmony parts for so, which when you hear them together, they're quite hard to disaggregate because they blend really beautifully. Then, but I remember when I was at university, there was a busker in the um, underground, probably at London Bridge, and he was singing the 
Art Garfunkel point part because the vision softly creeping with disease when I was and I was waiting for my tube and I suddenly I, I went along and sang the, the Paul Simon harmony part next to it <laughs> and then suddenly the um, the contributions started increasing and, and people started adding kind of tips and then right at the end of the song my train came and I got on the train Aww. and said thank you very much it was one of those really nice synchronicity moments that's magical yeah, that's, yeah. I find it interesting how you said Simon Garfunkel was your precursor to Bob Dylan and earlier on you were talking about recording your mixtape and getting the sounds of the telly and yes. people coming past and then there's that Simon and Garfunkel song is it 3am something where you hear the the radio news about Vietnam oh yeah that's a version of Silent Night yeah, oh, yes, that's, that's, that's really it. powerful isn't yeah. it yeah President Nixon said that unless there's such and such a by next Tuesday yeah that, that's really powerful I like that I, I thought I was thinking about that mm -hmm. earlier when you were talking about those other sounds and I'm glad that came up again yes I've got a couple of addendums is that the right word where you addenda where yes. you've left something out in the last episode or the previous episodes whichever one it was and yeah. you, you added in now and I was going to pre-record the addendum but I, th I think I'll share it now because it's All easier right. I don't have to edit and you get the same acoustics and yeah, everything definitely. from the night I was speaking about Nirvana Nevermind with Matt or that was his choice mm -hmm. Nirvana Nevermind album and of course that album for me is is everything how can you talk about it how can you possibly paint a picture of it in an hour but we did our best and yeah. people all over the world are going to have different interpretations and whatever but I forgot something that I wanted to share and that was the song Smells Like Teen Spirit has been covered a number of times and I generally don't like the covers of Nirvana songs. I like it when Nirvana cover songs, they're pretty good at it. I was in Tap Social, the uh, brewery in mm. the industrial estate nearby with Chris, who I did the Radiohead, uh -huh. uh, the Benz album mm. with, he did a podcast and we were sitting there, it was about 11 p.m. last orders and this rendition of Smells Like Teen Spirit came on and it was absolutely beautiful. It was, again, one of the songs that I hear and I get goosebumps, I get mm, tingles. Yeah. And I said to Chris, who is this? Who is this? This is amazing. <laughs> and he tried to do that Shazam thing oh, where yes. you listen and it caught the last few chords. It, it wasn't enough to pick up what that song was. And I asked one of the staff there, I said, what is this? song who's singing this cover mm. and I was hoping she would turn around and go yeah it's this because yeah. you'd think that that's their choice of music yes. they had put on a playlist oh. that you can get off Spotify or whatever right yeah but I was hoping it was the the bartender's yes choice yeah. but anyway she she went and checked she went back behind the oh. bar and checked and she came and she said and as she was walking back she had started the song again because she knew Chris and I loved it so much and she says it's Patti Smith oh wow okay and I, I was so excited yeah. I said yes, yes of course yeah fantastic what a beautiful punk heritage like, yeah it's, it's just yeah. stunning so if you do get a chance oh great look it up uh, Patti Smith 
smells like teen spirit it's incredible that takes us back to dark eyes and and the yes, first episode yes, as well yeah. indeed proper yeah, book ending. The bookends of the season yeah <laughs> and then finally the the final addendum was in one of the episodes i did a dinosaur junior episode my favorite one of my favorite bands i like to say my favorite but i love them so much and i decided to do that episode on my own because it's very it was very personal and I, I share a lot of personal details but it was one where I'd, I thought well I'm going to do this one on my own and I had spoken about these download codes so now you get your physical record but you can also get a little leaflet inside that you can download the mp3 or the WAV file of it and you can have a digital copy and I said I had lost it yes. and slipped out the record and it was gone and I lost my Radiohead Benz one. Oh, no. And I said, I love looking for things because I know they're somewhere and they've got a little life of their own as they're sitting in that closet or in that drawer somewhere. And I kind of imagine what that item must be feeling like as it sits there. Yes. And obviously, it hasn't got feelings, but you know what I mean? It's a bit of an imagination. Yeah, thing. no, I do that. Well, that's fascinating that you do that. And you can, you, yeah, I, I, can't, I don't know how yeah. really best to describe it. But they are found. Yeah, okay. They are found. They yeah, were on good. the printer. I'm pointing over to a printer and yes. there's a scanner. It's an old school printer scanner thing. And for some reason they were on the scanner section and I don't recall trying to scan them or anything. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And Joe came into the shed to do some printing and she lifted it up. And I wasn't in here at the time and she found them. Right. And then she put them on my desk which is behind me right now and I came in to start work and they were there right and I knew Joe had found them and I knew she wanted to surprise me <laughs> and now I have the downloaded copies which is nice because you can take your music out with you you know on the skateboard on a walk on your bike or whatever but they are found and my mom actually said to me you've got to mention that you found those because yes, you know yeah. I, I didn't know if you had found them or not and I said yeah mom I found them she said well, tell someone tell them you found them <laughs> so there you go oh brilliant Roger thank you so much this has been wonderful oh it's been great thank you and um, and hopefully you know maybe you'll have some other mixtape themed episodes with folks who, um, who you know maybe some some folks have actually still got theirs from years ago and want to kind of talk through them I think and you brought um, a, a lovely idea for yeah, and you sent me that message with the idea, a voice message, which I loved so much. And how could I say, no, let's, let's <laughs> do something else? I mean, you were open to something else. Obviously, we were going to do another Bob album. We were going to do... Oh, um, mercy! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which could, could still follow, but I, yeah. I'm, I'm so enjoying this mixtape idea. And, Thank you, Rog. As always, your your jingles and your intro and end tune of this podcast. Every time I edit, I hear your voice. And <laughs> I just think I'm so privileged to be oh, living no, so you. near to you and we can spend these wonderful evenings together. Thank you for having me. And I think next season we probably need to feature The Sun Goes Down Another Dreamless Night. You're right by my side You wake me up, you say it's time to ride In the dead of night Strange canyon roads, strange look in your eyes Shut them as we fly
as we fly. <laughs> Stark Hollow Town, Carson City Lights. Baby, let's get high. Spend a Johnny's cash, hitch another ride. We laugh until we cry. You say you go fast, I say hold on tight. In the dead of night. <laughs> dead of night. See? See the boys as they walk on by. See? See the boys as they walk on by. As they walk on by. Join us next season for some Orville Peck. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.